Hallelujah. 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 Well, good morning once again. Hope well. It is a blessing to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. It's a blessing to be alive, even with that hour change. Amen. We thank God that we're here, which means spring is on the way. The sun's not going to go down to about 7 o'clock. His day is going to be a little bit longer. Amen. Soon it's going to be barbecue season. Praise God. Amen. And we'll be outside in these streets. Amen. Listen, we're just glad to be here and glad to be alive and to be well. God has been good to us. Amen. God has been good to us. Listen, I've been thinking about this. We have been making the confession that we are on the edge of miracles. We say it too much. We'll take off and we'll start running and shouting in here. But here's what we have to recognize when we say that. We have to recognize and know that in us making that confession that we're on the edge of miracles. The enemy will do all that he can, Sister Baker, to interrupt what God is desiring to do. We can't proclaim that God is a healer and we pray for the miracle of healing and there's no sickness. We cannot pray that God be a provider and there's never any lack. As we're making the confessions that we're on the edge of miracles, there is a thing called spiritual warfare that we have to be mindful of and know that the enemy is looking to come in to do whatever he can do to cause us to stop making the confession and to settle in our prayers and say, well, God, I'll take that back. No, no, no. Bible tells us that we put on and we are ready for battle. That we dress properly so that we can still make the confession that we're on the edge of miracles. So no matter what it looks like, no matter what it sounds like, no matter what may happen, we're still on the edge of miracles. I thought I would have had a little bit more help than that. Despite the warfare we may experience, our confession will stay the same. We're on the edge of miracles. Believe in God for miracles, signs, and wonders. No matter what it looks like, no matter what it sounds like, we're still on the edge of miracles. Turn to your neighbor, tap, tap your neighbor, say, neighbor, hang in there. Hang in there. Don't, don't, don't. I know you may get weary, but hang in there. Do not give up. The Bible says we shall reap if we faint not. We shall reap if we faint not. Pray with me this morning. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you. You're such a good God. You're such an amazing God. And our confession and our proclamation will stay the same, that we're on the edge of miracles. We're believing you to do some things, Father God, that may not even make sense to ourselves, but we believe you. We're trusting you to heal, to deliver, to set free. We're trusting you to supernaturally, supernaturally throw your weight around, Father.
to do what only you can do. And we will be so careful. God, I pray for those that may be discouraged, God. Because what they're saying, what they're saying and what they're seeing is not connecting. So I pray, God, that in the midst of their discouragement, that you will bring some light and show some hope, God. Throw them a rope, Father God, to continue to hang on and to trust you and to believe you, Father. To do what only you can. And it's in the strong name of Jesus we pray. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. We're a few weeks away from Resurrection Sunday time that is known as the Super Bowl of the church where we celebrate the death the burial and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ it's a big deal for Christians big deal for believers it's a journey that we take in excitement and joy that we have that we have a resurrected savior that we had a savior that died that was buried and that he rose again with all power in his hands it's a great day to be able to celebrate but we just can't focus on that day and not take the journey all the way to Calvary we would do ourselves a disservice, Deacon Brian, if we just celebrated Resurrection Sunday and never took into account everything that Jesus endured all the way to Calvary's cross. And not just what Jesus had to endure, but there were people there that loved Jesus, his mama, that had to watch her one and only son suffer. Minister Lynn, she could not be the helicopter mom to come in and save her son. For she knew when she was pregnant with him what she was pregnant with and what he would do for this world, but never did she ever imagine the horrifying images that she would have to see her son and not be able to do anything about it at all. If we just celebrated Sunday, we will miss everything else. It's a journey that we're about to take as Jesus makes his way to Calvary. I want to talk to you this morning as we start this new series entitled Dying to Tell You. Dying to Tell You. We don't want to rush once again to get to Sunday and we miss some valuable words that Jesus shared on the way to Calvary's cross. Wow. Wayne Grudem in his book, Systematic Theology, gives an agonizing portrait of our Savior's horrific death. He says, when crucified, Christ was forced to endure a slow death by suffocation, brought on by the weight of his own body. He was stretched out and fastened by nails to the cross. 
His arms supported most of the weight of his body. His chest cavity was pulled upward and outward, making it difficult to exhale and to draw in a fresh breath. To breathe, he had to push up on his legs, putting all the weight on the nails through his feet and pull up on the nails through his hands, sending fiery pain through the nerves of his arm and his legs. His back already whipped raw, scraped against the rough, splintered-filled wooden cross with each breath he took. But the physical pain was nothing compared to the spiritual pain. Jesus never sinned. Jesus hated sin, yet Jesus voluntarily took upon himself all the sins of those who one day would be saved. Isaiah 53 and 12 says that his death fulfilled the prophecy that Isaiah talked about, that he bore the sins of many. That which he hated with his whole being was poured out on him. Jesus there on the cross having a hard time to be able to breathe and which every breath that he gives out in speaking is taking life away from him. Even though he's already getting ready to sacrifice his life for people who someday would commit their lives to him, some others that would not even while dying, he still makes it his job to say something to help us down here. Jesus says seven words that are life-changing to us and that was life-changing for those that were around him. Luke chapter 23, verse 34, records the first word. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, to me, this has always been one that literally, even till now, still blows my mind because I'm sitting there thinking to myself, Jesus, they know exactly <laughs> what they're doing. Right, right. They knew exactly what they were doing when they got these old rusted nails and put them into your hands and put them into your feet. They knew exactly what they were doing that while you were trying to carry your cross that they took whips and they whipped his back to the point that it was raw. Jesus on the cross dying sends up a prayer for his enemies by saying father forgive them for they know not what they do. What type of savior is this? But as you're on the cross dying, you're concerned about the hearts of your enemies that are sitting in the Bible says that while he's there on the cross, they've taken his clothes, now they're gambling for his clothes, they have been mocking him, the jailers on both sides of him now are mocking him, everybody is mocking him and talking about him, and Mary is sitting there saying all this happened to her son and can't do nothing. And he says, Father, forgive them, 
for they know not what they do. The hardest prayer that you and I will ever pray when we've been hurt, humiliated, and wrong is Father, forgive them. Jesus teaches us as believers while he's dying on the cross, he's dying to tell us that forgiveness is possible. While Jesus is on the cross suffocating from the weight of his own body, Paul's is dying, oh my God, to tell us, forgive them for they know not what they do. How in the world do you still have compassion for people that have intentionally and deliberately wronged you accuse you when Herod and Pilate said, hey, we can't find no fault in this man. In fact, the people kept yelling and saying, crucify him and give us Barabbas who was guilty. But they said, crucify him. Herod and Pilate, you all know the story. They kept saying, we can't find any fault in him. We can't find anything against this man. All that we know is he's been doing good everywhere that he went. And they kept saying, crucify him, crucify him. And they fell prey to the voices of the crowd. And they said, crucify him. Jesus on the cross says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus is teaching us from the first word that no one, no matter how wrong they have done us, is too far for us to reach them with our prayers. Jesus teaches us from the cross to yet still have a heart for those that have wronged us and that have humiliated us and that have hurt us by asking God to forgive them and by us showing forgiveness towards them. The hardest prayer we'll ever pray when we've been mistreated when we've been abused mentally, physically, sexually, emotionally, it's Father, forgive them. Where do you get the guts <laughs> to forgive somebody that won't even recognize the fact that what they did to you was trifling. How do you forgive a person that failed to even recognize and take ownership, Minister Lynn, for what they have done and that what they did or did not do or say or did not say was wrong? Could it be that when we say, Father, forgive them, could it be that when we forgive them that it takes that person out of the equation, that forgiveness is more about us than it is for them? Could it be that when we say, 
Father, forgive them. We're not looking for them. We're not looking for them to applaud and to say that they're sorry because the truth be told is, hey, it's 2023, and I'm still waiting on some apologies from 2007, and I ain't got them yet. I'm talking about 2007, I'm still waiting for them. If I check my account now, I still ain't got no apology yet. But could it be that it is up to us to trust God, that God will handle everything else, and that our job is to say, Father, forgive them? Could it be that our job is to trust God enough with our hearts, with our souls, to say, Father, you know this issue is hard for me, it's challenging for me, I don't want to, but could it be that many of us, we are held hostage in unforgiveness, and we have the key to release ourselves by saying, Father, forgive them. Oh, Pastor's heart is easy for you to say, but you were not the one that was hurt by a parent. You were not the one that was abused by this person. You were not the one that had been th that had things done to and said to you are absolutely right. But Jesus being our example, the Bible tells us to be imitators of Christ. Jesus on the cross dying, st stops death and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You say it's hard to forgive. I got you. But Jesus shows us that it's possible to forgive. Oh, Pastor, it's challenging. I don't think I'm, I can do it. Yes, you can do it because Jesus shows us that it is possible. The hardest prayer we'll ever pray when we've been hurt, humiliated, and wronged is, Father, forgive them. Let me help us, though. Forgiveness doesn't always equal restoration. I can forgive you and set a boundary where your access to me is limited. Because if I forgive you, and there has not been a change in your heart. That's why David said, Father, give me a new heart. Give me a clean heart. Oh, God, renew a right spirit in me. Because David knew, listen, it was Bathsheba the first time, but let somebody else come in here looking all cute and stuff. That's why he prayed, God, give me a new heart. Give me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Could it be, could it be, could it be, could it be that sometimes our forgiveness is not, hey, let's go to Applebee's and have half all the appetizers. But could it be that now, that once I have forgiven you, now I have to take ownership of the access that I allow you to have in my life. Because if your heart has not been changed, you will come around and do the same thing to me again. And this time, it won't be on the devil. It won't be on them. It will be my fault because I allowed you back in the same place that got you kicked out the first time. Restoration is I reserve the right to protect myself mentally and emotionally from you but not allowing you to have the same access to me like I did in the past. 
Why? Because I realize there has not been a change in you. There has not been a change in your heart. You still doing the thing, same thing from 1972. You're still doing the same thing from before. And because of that, I cannot allow you to come into my space and hurt me again. I can forgive you by freeing myself, whether you apologize or not, so that I can be able to move on with my life. Because here it is, saints of God, when we don't forgive, we are giving power to someone else to control our lives. Oh, well, Reverend, I don't know about that. Okay, okay, okay. Let them walk in the room. Let's see how well you change. Your countenance and your demeanor will change. Let them call you or text you, and as soon as you see that number, and that's too much power for someone who did not die for you to have over your life. The hardest prayer we'll ever pray when we've been hurt, when we've been wrong, when we've been humiliated, is Father. Forgive them. And then knowing and recognizing the fact that, forgi that forgiveness doesn't equal restoration. Jesus doesn't stop right there. Wayne Grudem just told us that in every breath that he's taking to say something, he's taking life away from him. But Jesus being the master teacher, y'all, being the master teacher, Never waste any moments. This man is dying. And he pauses dying to give the second word and to say, today you will be with me in paradise. <laughs> today you will be with me in paradise. Luke has his account, Matthew has his account, Mark has his account. I like Matthew and Mark's account because they say that along with everybody else that was mocking him and talking about him, there were two thieves, one on each side, that were guilty and were thieves that mocked Jesus while he was on the cross. Going to verse 40, it gets good right here. He says... Verse 39, and one of the malefactors which hanged railed on him saying, if thou be Christ, hold on a second, let me go back to the New Living Translation. Those thou's and those kind of trip me up every now and then. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God? Wait a minute, go to verse 39, I'm sorry, here we go. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. Mocking them, saying, if you be who you say that you are. They heard stories. They were around. They were around. Made, might have broken into the liquor store or something like that, but they heard stories about how Jesus was one that when he showed up to the wedding and they had ran out of wine, all of a sudden, the party got active again because they found some wine. They, 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 they heard about how the mother was on her way to bury her child, and Jesus came and touched the coffin, and the little girl got up. They heard about Jairus' story, about how Jesus, all he did was said a word right from where he was. And 
And by the time he got home, his child was healed. They heard about it, but now they're mocking him by saying, hey, if you be who you say you are, this King Jesus, the Savior of the world, this forgiver of sins, why are you up here with us? They said, get yourself down, save yourself, and once you save yourself, come back and get us too. If you be who you really say that you are. But I love it because even though both criminals had said something crazy and mocked Jesus and talked about him, there was a change in heart in the second criminal. Look at verse 40. Here it is. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God? even when you have been sentenced to death. In other words, dude, don't you realize we about to die? And we're next to Jesus? And you're mocking Jesus? And you about to die? He said, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will, be with, you will be with me in paradise. Here it is, thanks of God. Jesus can save anybody, anywhere, at any time. Let me say it again. Jesus is dying to tell us. Jesus is dying to tell us. He's dying to tell the church today that he has the power to save anybody, anywhere, at any time. Jesus is on the cross. He's pausing death to let us know as people of God, as believers of Jesus Christ, as the church today, that he alone has the power to save anybody, anywhere, at any time. I know, I know, I know, I know. Wait a minute, something like, wait a minute, Pastor, didn't have new membership class he didn't walk down the aisle he didn't give God his heart and give his hand to the preacher Jesus didn't no, he, he didn't do any of those things there was no ministry fair for him to go to to get involved in ministry Jesus tells him because he acknowledges the fact that he was there at that moment and there was a change of heart in him and here it is Jesus is the only one that can really be able to tell the difference in the changes in the person's heart you and I can even attest if our own hearts have been changed Jesus is the only one that can guarantee and confirm that there has been a change in somebody's life and that gives him the power and the authority to save anybody anywhere at any time and Jesus lets us know right now that through this story that he's able to come to the dying bed of individuals and lead them into a walk and to a relationship with him pastor what are you saying Jesus helped the church today Jesus helped the church today that we made salvation so hard we made salvation so challenging we put all these stipulations we've taken the scriptures and we've turned it and twisted them and made it so hard all Jesus says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart then sir then ma'am you are saved. Oh man, I wish I had some help in it this morning. Okay, maybe you forgot your confession. Jesus simply says, if you confess with your heart and believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart about who I am, by my word, 
no matter what you've done, no matter who you did it with, you, ma'am, you, sir, can be saved. Oh, y'all, y'all. Y'all tighten up on me because it's spring break. Let's go ahead and bust loose real quick. If we can be real and honest, we didn't come to know Christ when we walked down the aisle at church. There was something drag, there was something tragic that happened in our lives. We met Christ in the crisis. You might have been out there getting your boogie on with a drink in your hand. You might have been in somebody else's bed. You might have been on drugs, but there was something that happened to you that in that moment that you realized that Jesus was real. There was no preacher around. Around. There was no church mother around. There was no deacon around. All that was there was you and Jesus. And the next thing you know, tears coming down your eyes. You fall to your knees and you open up your mouth and say, Jesus, I cannot do this on my own. I need you to come in and change me. I need you to come in and renew me. I need you to come. And I wish somebody could be able to testify and say, I'm still saying, Jesus, come on in and renew me. Start me over. Get me a clean start why because Jesus can save anybody anywhere at any time don't you dare put God in a box you get to a funeral well I don't know if they made it over nor do you need to know there's a conversation between them and God if they confess with their mouth and believe in their heart and never walked in the church when you get the glory they're gonna say hello He has the power to save anybody, anywhere, at any time. Why must we put him in a box? That he can only save one way. This man wasn't baptized. He never received the right hand of fellowship from the deacons. But Jesus assured him, once again, he paused his death to tell this brother, today, you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say, well, hey, once you come down from here, you go ahead and make your way over to the whole well. There's going to be a bald-headed preacher. You walk down the aisle or you tune in online and you put in the comment section that you want to be saved. He said, today, you will be with me in paradise Jesus can save anybody anywhere at any time he stops dying to tell us that forgiveness is possible he pauses death to tell us that I can save your son who you think is unsavable. I can save your family member that you've already condemned to hell. I can save your co-worker that you think is crazy and trifling. I can save them in their cubicle. I can save them in the car. I can save them in the shower. I can save them an aisle two at Walmart. I can save them at a finish line car wash. I can save them at the mall. I can save them while they're on the plane going to Jamaica. I can save anybody, anywhere, at any time. But he pauses death again to look at his mother. 
John 19, 26. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple, he loved. He said to her, dear woman, here is your son. King James Version says, woman, behold your son. I imagine Jesus has been whipped. He had not just placed on his head, but shoved on his head a crown of thorns. So I got to use my sympathetic imagination that, 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 that Pastor Tyler, the, the blood has been dripping down from his head. Get into his eye. He already can't breathe. Whenever he has to push himself up on his legs or his hands, he's, he's adding more weight and he's taking away breath and life from his body. He can't wipe his eye to get the blood out of his eye, Sister Ross. The soldiers give him sour wine to drink. Jesus is able to open his eyes enough to see his mother. Mary's there, Mary Magdalene, Clophis, and the disciple is there. And I can only imagine, I'm not a mother, but I'm a parent. I can only imagine how distraught Mary was. Knowing that her son was innocent and that all he ever desired to do was to do good to help people. Probably some of the same ones that were saying crucify him were some of the same ones he had blessed. Here's what I've learned. You can't get caught up on the applause of people because the same jokes that you be clapping right now, hey, that's my boy, that's him. That's right, Ever. that it'll be the same ones that'll say, I knew he was up to no good. The same ones that will sing your praises now Give them two minutes and they switch up. They're yelling, crucify him, knowing that Harold, uh, 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 Harold and Pilate have said this man has done nothing wrong at all. They said, crucify him. Release Barabbas when everybody knew Barabbas was guilty. She's there. She's seen him as they led him. The Bible says that when he had the cross and he was walking, they did not take the short route to get him to Calvary. They took the long route to get him to Calvary so that it could be uh, something that everybody could be able to see and join in on. She's watching, seeing the baby that she held in her hands, back whipped wrong. Seeing him scream in agony as he's on the cross. He looks at his mother. And I got to believe they made eye contact. And he said, woman, behold your son. Now, woman, when we see that, we'll automatically think, oh, man, he's being disrespectful. No, but this was a term, this was a term of like saying ma'am or sir. And he did not say mother because in saying mother would already add to the pain. He said, woman, 
ma'am, behold your son. Jesus lets us know from this third word that God does not just bless us with stuff. He blesses us with people. I like the way Pastor Philip Pointer puts it, that in this moment right now at the cross, it's a redefining of relationships. Jesus could have said this after he got up from the grave. He could have said this before he got on the cross. But there's something powerful here that the disciple, Jesus, and Mary all have in common. All three of us are in the midst of a crisis. The person that we love is getting ready to die. Bible says that he loved the disciple. He loved his mama. He looks out and he knows he's getting ready to die. And he sees those that he loves watching him die. The crisis of being at Calvary is what brings them all together. And so it's in this moment that Jesus pauses death again to let mama know even while I'm on the cross dying I will pause death to let you know that you're going to be taken care of. <laughs> he pauses death to let his mama know that all of her needs will be provided for. When God blesses us, he does not just bless us with stuff. He blesses us with people. Thank God that Jesus and his disciple had a good relationship. Thank God that if there were any alts or any arguments or any situations they may have had, they get all that stuff cleared up now because in this moment, in the midst of a crisis, because here it is, I need to know, I, 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 I cannot wait to know who I got on, on my end in my corner when I'm in a crisis. I need to know beforehand so that when stuff jumps off in my life, I know who I can be able to depend on because here's the truth of the matter, saints of God, all of us, I don't care how, I don't care, I don't care, it doesn't make a difference at all how well you think you how independent you are and how you got everything together all of us in this room are going to need someone that we can be able to lean on there will be some things that money will not be able to suffice there will be some things that your name and who you know will not be able to suffice all of us in this room are going to need somebody or somebody's that we're going to have to lean on So what are you saying, Reverend? It will be 
of good wisdom and good practice that whomever we came in contact with, that we were good to them. It would, be, it would be good practice that we treated people right. It would be good practice that, that we did not measure, that we did not measure, hey, if they did me wrong, I'm going to do them wrong. No, 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 no. But that we mature and we step into our big boy pants, our big girl shoes, and we say, hey, no matter what you do to me, what you say to me, how you treat me, I'm still going to love you with the love of Christ. Why? Because I never know what lies ahead for me in the future, and I don't know who I might need. Because they will be very uncomfortable for you to have mistreated a person. But then God turns things around and he sends that very person to come and help you. That what you've been praying for, what you've been, oh Lord, I need you to come on through, Father. I need you to make a way out of no way. And the way that he makes. It's through a person that you mistreated. No, no, no. It was in a person that you were nice, nasty to. That they were saved and they really do know Jesus. And instead of coming back at you, they went and prayed for you. And then come this time around where they have the power and the authority to not do for you what you need. But because they know Jesus. They do it anyway. It is good practice on our end to be good and friendly to everybody that we come in contact with because we never know what lies ahead in the future and who God may send our way to help us when we're in a crisis. When God blesses us, he doesn't just bless us with people. He doesn't just bless us with stuff. He blesses us with people. And not just that. If God, if Jesus, dying on the cross, was able to provide for his mother then, and now, he rose from the grave with all power in his hands and sits at the right hand of the Father. How much more can he do for you and I that he's resurrected and has all power in his hands? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And woman, behold your son. Jesus is dying to tell us, Paul's his death to tell us that forgiveness is, is possible. That it may not be for them, but it's for us. He pauses 
death to let the church know that he reserves the right and he has all power to save anybody anytime anywhere and then it serves as a reminder for us that when he provides for us when he comes through for us that he uses people to work on his behalf what an amazing savior that even in his death shares wisdom shares encouragement shares assurance even while he's suffering he pauses death to assure us of those three things what an amazing God what an amazing Savior who would not want to give their life to someone like that? That in death he provides. That in death he guides. That even in death he encourages. It's great to shout on a resurrection Sunday. But don't forget the journey and get him to Calvary. Don't forget the dying words that are said to us as he's on Calvary's cross. That may be somebody in this room right now watching online, Facebook or YouTube. And you've been teetering about this whole idea about Jesus and being with him and ask him into your life. And let me be the first to say some churches, some preachers have made it so hard. A rule list of regulations and guidelines and stuff that you got to do. You got to look this way. You got to dress this way. When in essence, he would do all the other changing and rearranging things around. He just wants permission to get in our lives. He'll change your attitude. He'll change your talk. He'll change the way you dress. He'll change the way that you carry about you carry yourself. But first, he just wants interest into your heart. First, he just wants you to say, Lord, here I am. And acknowledging the fact that I cannot run my life myself. <laughs> we can be the CEO of a lot of things, but we can't be the CEO of our lives. We need his wisdom. We need his guidance. We need his direction. We're going to mess stuff up. It is an acknowledgement that I need you in my life. And sometimes it's not until we have gotten exhausted that we see Jesus. Sometimes it's not until we have been sick that we see Jesus. Sometimes it's not until there we have experienced death that we see Jesus. Sometimes tragic things have to happen in order for us to be able to see Jesus. But can I tell you that you don't have to wait for something major to jump off in your life? 
that why, as the old preacher would say, that you got blood running warm in your veins, come now and say, Lord, I want you in my life. That's you watching it online on Facebook or YouTube. Inbox us and say, hey, I want to be saved today. Put in the comment section, I want to be saved today. And someone from our team will reach out to you. We'll pray for you. We'll believe God for you. We believe that he can save anybody, anywhere, at any time. If you don't have a church home, doesn't matter where you live, I'll be proud to be your pastor. We'll be proud to be your church home. 